This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today, we have the founder of a company called Tynes. That's T-I-N-E-S, Owen Hinchy. Welcome to the show. Albert, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Listen, we're excited to have you here. And you know, one of the things we always want to start off with is exactly what is the company. So give us, for our audience who may not be familiar, what is Tynes and what does it do? Yeah. Um, so Tynes is a cybersecurity automation platform that allows security teams automate the repetitive manual workloads. So for example, if you are receiving alerts from various information security systems, you can build drag and drop workflows in Tynes that allows you automate those start to finish, uh, giving your team more flexibility and uh, capacity to go and work on higher impact projects. So one of the things that you guys talk about in your in like the marketing and stuff like that is this idea that you guys approach cybersecurity a little bit differently than others. Um, I, I believe you guys almost talk about it in a codeless, no code, it sounds no code like fashion. Give us an idea of what this means for, for you. Yeah. Um, so I think the, the way we approach security and the way we approach automation is very much built on how we experience it ourselves as practitioners. So I'm not your typical software CEO or founder. Um, I actually spent about 15 years as a cybersecurity practitioner before founding Tynes. So I worked on the front lines of information security and cybersecurity, doing things like incident response and security operations and security engineering and threat management at companies like eBay and PayPal and DocuSign here in Dublin, where I'm based at the minute, but also in the Bay Area for, for a little while as well. Um, and when I was a security practitioner, the problems that I experienced are really what gave birth to Tynes, right? So I was running fairly technical teams of security practitioners who all knew their jobs inside out, could respond to any type of incident, big or small, um, and were very passionate and motivated people. The challenge was that they were spending more and more of their time doing the same repetitive workflows over and over again. So uh, without going into too much detail, they would spend a lot of time kind of investigating phishing emails and responding to different classes of security alerts. And those investigations and response activities would typically be fairly manual. So you would take data from one system, you would copy and paste it into another system, you would take the results from that search and put it into a different system. And you might be uh, hopping and back, back and forth between like 10 to 15 different systems. And this repetitive work was monotonous, mundane, but absolutely necessary, right? We had to get to the bottom of all these alerts. And, you know, frankly, this is the reason why we invented software on computers. So people wouldn't have to um, do this manual work over and over again. The challenge that we had was that my team were security practitioners and not software engineers. So even if they wanted to, they didn't have the chops to go and write Python or Bash or Ruby or whatever it was to go and automate this end to end. And so the, the idea behind Tynes was to give these people who knew their jobs inside out, who were incredibly motivated and know, knew what needed to be done, give them the tools that they would need to automate those processes end to end without actually having to write code. And so our concept of no code is very much the idea that these people who know what needs to be done are empowered to do it themselves. 
So this is from firsthand experience then from what you experienced working at, in the security field at your prior jobs. Is that right? Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. And then, so you kind of had this idea and you wanted to bring it to life. What were you thinking? I guess, let me phrase it another way. How did you come up with this solution? Was it something you were already looking for? Or was it something like you and your peers wish that you had? Because it sounds like you have software development chops, but was it something like, hey, I know how to develop software, but my, my peers aren't able to. If I could give them a tool to do this, they would be able to solve more problems. Like, Give us an idea of how this, came, this idea or concept came about. Yeah, although um, although I personally built the very first version of Tynes, as um, all the engineers on my team today will tell you, I am not a professional software engineer. So I, I, I knew enough to be dangerous <laughs> and, hack, and hack together an MVP. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. We were looking for this product as security practitioners. So over the course of about six months, we looked at like a dozen different tools, right? We were looking for something that we could buy mm -hmm. that would solve these problems of too much work, not enough staff, you know, inevitable incidents. And we couldn't find anything that came close to meeting our requirements. And we looked at a lot of different tools from a lot of different vendors. We even looked at trying to modify open source software. And eventually we got to the point where it's just like, wow, we just, we're just thinking about these things in very different ways than anybody else. Um, and, you know, I never had any grand ambitions of starting a company. I wasn't that kind of person who, you know, mowed lawns to make pocket money or had a lemonade stand. That, that wasn't me. Um, but I felt that these problems were acute enough and um, that the way I wanted to solve them was differentiated enough that there could be a real business here. Uh, and so founded Tynes really to go and build the product that I wished had been available, right? And so for the very first year or first few years, the product that we were building was very much to solve the problems that we had experienced firsthand. Yeah, give us an example of that first problem, I guess you were able to solve that Tynes unlocked. Because you know one of the things that I know our listeners will enjoy hearing is like, hey, what was the problem? Give us an idea of what the solution looked like. And then of course, what was the outcome? Because Inevitably, there had to have been like, you know, when you're building this product, you're thinking to yourself, hey, there's a there's a distinct or distinct subset of problems I want to solve. So if you could kind of walk us through, hey, I wanted to do this. I never had anything they could do it before. I implemented my own tool times. Boom. I was able to solve it. Now I know I got something. Yeah. Wonderful question. Um, so one of the really interesting things about security is it's an incredibly diverse set of problems that you deal with, right? Everything from how do we design architecture in a secure way to how do we respond to these types of incidents to how we like reverse engineer malware. So you get to work on a lot of different things. The teams that I ran um, and the teams that I worked in as, a, as an individual contributor were very much like operations teams. So keeping the lights on, receiving alerts from all you know 50 different tools that we had deployed in various different ways. And so the product that I wanted to build or that I felt the world needed had to be extremely flexible to be able to solve a bunch of different problems, right? Had to work uh, in, a, in a sufficient way to be able to respond to any type of alert, interact with any type of system. And it had to be extremely accessible, right? So you had to be able to use this tool without knowing how to code and it needs to be really reliable as well. So there was kind of three problems that we were solving. One, we needed a product that would allow people who didn't know how to write code, produce code, essentially. We needed a product that would be extremely reliable, scalable, secure. And we ultimately needed a platform that would allow anyone, regardless of their technical background, automate any process. 
And our kind of like big bet and our great innovation was that any process, any process in an enterprise, regardless of whether it's security, IT, infrastructure, DevOps, is really just a sequence of actions. Read, that's all it is, right? And so if you're analyzing phishing emails, for example, the first step or the first action that you're going to take is to receive the email. The second action that you might take is to look at the attachments and see if they're malicious. The third action you might take is to analyze the URLs and see if any of them are phishing URLs or credential harvesters. And then the fourth step might be to create a ticket in Jira. The fifth step might be to go and reset a password. And the sixth step might be to go and notify the person who received it. But it's all just a sequence of actions and decisions. Our great bet was that there had to be a limited number of things that we would need to support that would allow you automate any process. Right. And so what we did when we founded the company was we went around to all of our friends and people that we'd worked with in the past and ex-colleagues. And we said, hey, tell me about all your individual workflows, every single workflow that you do in your company. Tell us about it. And so we collected about 500 individual workflows, everything from, you know, pictures of, of um, Confluence documents to whiteboard drawings to SOPs to Word docs. And we printed all these um, documents out, all these workflows out. Who knows how many trees we killed doing this process. But we printed out all these documents and we started circling all these individual steps that were like similar. Right. So we took out some highlighters and we said, OK, anything that means we send an email, we're going to make that yellow. And anything that involves a decision, we're going to make that red. And anytime we're talking to an external tool, we're going to make that blue. And what we were doing was trying to understand what the minimum number of steps that we would need to support would be. And ultimately, we landed on seven. So with times, everything that you automate, everything, regardless of whether it's an extraordinarily complex employee onboarding process to something really, really simple like sending swag to a new employee, Everything that you do is always automated using just these seven basic building blocks. Hmm. And what that means is that once you know how to configure these seven things, and of course, it's all no code, you're just like dragging, you're just picking drop down menus and typing, uh, typing URLs. Everything is super simple. And once you can configure these seven things, you're essentially as effective as a senior software engineer. Right. A senior software engineer with a college degree and five years experience. Right. And so it takes us about three hours to get you up to speed on how to configure these seven things. And once you know how to do it, that's it. That's everything that you will ever need to automate any process in your organization. And because then we take care of all the hard things like version control, change management, scalability, security, retries, robustness, all you actually need to know is what you want to automate and which one of these seven things is best suited to perform that step. Okay. So that's bold. <laughs> when, like as someone who's <laughs> listening to this, I think to myself like, Oh, cause, cause you know, everyone thinks that their work or their job is more complicated than, than it might be. Right. Yeah. And then we've always heard great software engineers talk about, Hey man, you just have to boil things down to the basics. Uh, you know, David Heinemeyer Hansen was on our show and he talks about only what's essential. If it's not there, it doesn't need to be there. And so you're saying there's only really seven major connection points, automations. I forgot the term you used, but there's seven major automations or connection points that need to be made to handle. It sounds like a bulk of the problems. 
When you discovered this, did you yourself question your sanity? Like, this can't be right. Like, there's only seven things to do. Uh, if, if, did you question your sanity or were you more excited to be like, hey, this is it? <laughs> and I also want to know when you first told that first customer that wasn't your friend, hey, there's only seven things you need to do to run your whole company. They're like, no. Nah. Yeah, oh, and that's 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 BS. That can't be right. Yeah. Um, so I really when I, when I started this exercise, I really, really hoped it was going to be five. Right. I, I had this obsession with like, you know, five <laughs> fingers. You can do a lot with five fingers. Right. Uh, and so I was actually bitterly disappointed when we actually looked at it and we were like, OK, actually, it's seven. we're going to have to support seven of these things. Um. I, I, you know, we, we've been doing this now for nearly five years and we've helped hundreds of companies, 10,000 people using the free version of our product, automating hundreds of thousands of workflows every single day. Um, and so we've given ourselves a lot of confidence over time that, yes, this is the sum total of things that we will need to support. Um, we still get pushback all the time all the time. And we kind of say like, listen, just trust us, right? Like trust us, try and automate a couple of things and see how it goes. And, you know, we're not dogmatic about the fact that, hey, maybe one day there'll be an eight, right? We're, we, we, we don't say that it's going to be seven forever. But what we do say is that we're going to continue to listen, but we're going to be very opinionated about the kind of things that you would need to support. The other thing I will say is like, hey, we do a lot with 26 letters in the alphabet, in the English alphabet, right? Like we've we've written Shakespeare <laughs> and Happy Birthday and every song on the planet. So it, it's not as if this is an incredibly groundbreaking concept that you should have a limited number of, um, of primitives and be able to construct wonderful things. Um, you know, the, the analogy we sometimes use is, let's say you're a carpenter, right? If you're a carpenter, you've got a hammer, a chisel, a drill, a saw, a pencil and a pen knife, right? And you construct houses, tables, doors, install floors by just being a master of those handful of tools. And so I think the other part of this is that like, we're, we also don't say that these are the only seven thing that like you're ever, ever, ever gonna need. There might be some insane edge case where there's actually a more powerful tool where like rather than using a handsaw, you should use like a bandsaw or something like that's maybe more attuned for the job. But what we are saying is that once you know how to use these seven things, there'll always be a way to automate what you need with just this toolkit. So give us an idea of when you were first launching. You know, right now, of course, there's a lot of people using, a lot of companies are using it. But when you first got started, of course, there was only a handful of people that just got started with the tools. Give us an idea of what it was starting to unlock. Did it right away hit what you thought it was going to do, which was enabling like these security analysts to also develop these workflows to solve problems? Was there any type of apprehension? Was it something that people wanted to do? Because one of the things low code is often promises that, you know, everyone can be a developer or no, no code, low co code tools. They say everyone can be a developer, but we find that that's not always, you know, that's not always the case. 100%. It does help the people that want to solve the problems, solve these problems, but give us an idea, like the people that tried this the first time, were they immediately able to solve some of these problems? Did it take a little tweaking? How long before, I guess, you know, Every business that reaches any type of scales starts getting raving fanatical customers, people that just think that this is it. This is the, the toolkit I need. Yeah. Um, did you guys hit that level of scale right away or did it take a couple of trials before people were like, okay, this is solving our problems? 
Oh yeah, that that's a good one. Um, so for the first year, it was just me and Tynes. Right. So I I did everything. I built the product. I managed our infrastructure. I did our marketing websites. Um, I did our customer support. I did absolutely everything. And we were, or I was bootstrapped, self funded. Um, so there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of money in the bank. Um, and. I did all like the demos for customers. I did all the implementation. I sat beside our early adopters and helped them like come up to speed with the product. But one of the things I was fairly fanatical about was um, getting feedback as early as possible, right? So, you know, from, from when I started the company to when I was doing my first demos was like six weeks. And so the product was extremely bare bones. And it's funny you should mention DHH because I wrote the entire thing in Rails. Um, so, I, you know, it was it was a fairly advanced um, prototype or MVP, but it was still very much an MVP. And so there was a lot of there was a lot of bugs. There was a lot of stuff that didn't make a whole heap of sense. So when users would try the product, they would kind of be like, oh, man, this looks really, really freaking basic. But they saw something in it that <laughs> unlocked their imagination, right? Even though, you know, it was like an insane color scheme and our logo was atrocious, they were still doing things that no other product could do, right? Like they, they're all of a sudden these frontline analysts who their entire lives, they've been told, hey, you, don't, you can't do automation. You don't know how to write code. We're all of a sudden in a matter of hours building software that would previously have only been producible by like some senior engineer who was like a backlog of eight months. And so there was a lot of, a lot of kind of like forgiveness given to like the state of the product, just because the outcomes were so unprecedented. If you could tell us, tell us that first, I guess, customer feedback that let you know that it was heading down the path. Because, you know, if you're grinding it out, you're by yourself doing this thing. It's a hypothesis you have. It's often, often we need that to hear from like customers to validate like, hey, the, this hypothesis is true. Yeah, totally. So I, I, one of our very first um, customers uh, was a huge like Fortune 10, like big, big company. Wow. And we had gotten or I had gotten, um, I had gotten the connection through a, a former colleague of mine uh, who was now running a security team at this big company. And they just happened to have a security automation initiative that they were running. And they're like, as a favor to me, personal favor, my buddy was like, hey, listen, we're going to be like baking off a couple of products, one from a $60 billion market cap company, one from a $30 billion market cap company and Tynes, which is a one person company with no customers and about $15 in the bank. And I was like, OK, great. This sounds good. That's a that's a and, great friend. That's um, a great friend. That, that's a great friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he, and, he, and he has remained a very good friend and I'm forever indebted to him. But, um, you know, maybe it was like naivety or hubris. But I was so confident because these other two products that they were baking off were ones that I had looked at before founding Tynes. So I was kind of thinking, okay, well, I feel pretty good that, yes, these products are, 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 are beautiful and well-marketed and have huge teams, but they're kind of crap. Like, and, and, you know, if this team is anything like the teams that I've worked in the past, they're going to forgive and overlook the flashiness of these other products and kind of look at the core capabilities. And so... I got involved in this bake-off against these three companies, or two other companies. And the challenge was to try and automate three processes. 
And whoever could automate three workflows was going to be the winner, right? And whoever could do it in the mo- in the neatest way, the quickest way was going to be the winner. And so, you know, I had no idea how the other teams were getting on with these other products, but I was helping the team that I was working with to try and implement these things in times. And as you can imagine, you know, I had no idea how this product was going to work or if they were going to be able to use it or if the features would work or if these seven building blocks were going to be sufficient. Um, and so, you know, I would go down and I'd sit in this company's office and I'd say like, okay, well, here's how we're going to do this. Here's how I think we should do it. But then I'd have to go, right? So they could do, go and work on it themselves. And every, I think it was a Tuesday afternoon, every Tuesday afternoon throughout that summer, I would go and visit this team and see how they'd be going. And I would have no visibility into what they were producing with Tynes or how it was working or so on. But that, I remember that first week I gave them a little bit of training and then I left and I came back and I had just, I had no idea how it was going to be. Like, I had no idea if they would have built anything. I had no idea if they'd actually like implemented it or gotten anywhere with this product because there was no support questions or anything. And I get back and Albert, they had implemented, not only had they implemented three workflows in a week, they had actually implemented a fourth, right? So they were just like, oh my, this tool is so great. I've gotten to play this fourth thing. And I couldn't believe it. Like, I was just like, holy crap, this is, this is like too good to be true. And I'll never forget that that feeling because as a as an entrepreneur and as an engineer and as a product person, when you're building tools, and that's what we were doing really was building tools, you have a vision for how somebody is going to use it, right? Like if you if you build, I don't know, a a a spade or something like that, you have a vision for how somebody is going to dig a hole, right? But like, and you 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 imagine how you're going to use it, but then you come back and you see that someone has done it in a completely different way. And it just is so thrilling to see people take these tools and use them in a creative way that you never could have possibly imagined. Right away, they're building workflows, they're doing it. And, uh, you know, you've, you've been quoted in articles saying like, you know, that the mass majority of a security, um, a security team's job is like chasing false positive, hmm. that 79% of security teams are actually hindered by the fact that they're just chasing these false positives. And if there were the worst automation in place that you could, I guess, unlock or enable them to work on other things, give us an idea of where the company is today. So currently today, you guys have got some big customers uh, identified on the website. Um, Give us an idea of where the company is and what are, what's what's I guess the future for you guys. Great question. Um, so we've we've always been a company that's gone really slow and controlled until till things felt really good, and then we've gone very fast. And so we were five people when lockdown started in March 2020. Today we're a little over 160. Uh, we've got folks in 23 states in the U.S. We've got about 70 people in Ireland, and we've got a handful of people in APAC. Um, we've got about 10,000 or so customers using the free version of our product um, and, and a couple of hundred people using the, the paid version. We've raised probably about 95-ish million dollars over the course of the last few years. Uh, we're triple, tripling revenue every year for the, for the last few years as well. And we're on track to triple revenue again this year. Um, so I think what's, what's next for us is more of the same, hopefully. You know, I think we've always solve these problems in a very practitioner focused way that'll never change we're an extremely focused company on like what we want to build and how we want to build it 
Um, we want to be really, really, really good at like one thing and that's workflow automation. We don't want to be that company that tries to be like a single pane of glass and do a bunch of stuff that we're not really that good at. So we want to be laser focused on workflow automation um, and ultimately continue to make the lives of our customers better ultimately, right? Get them working on more impactful projects, get them adding more business value to their companies, making it easier for them to get promoted. Um, and we'll continue to work on features that enable that. Yeah. One of the things that you guys talk about on your website is that you, on average, help uh, a customer automate at least 20 workflows in year one. Give us an idea of how much, I guess, time savings is that? Yeah. Like what is, how many hours are involved typically in a workflow? Meaning how many, if you didn't have it automated, how many hours or man, how much manpower would be in that? And then, you know, we'll, we of course can do the math after that to understand how many hours a company is saving by these automations. Because it automation is one of those things that, you know, there's multiple companies in this low code, no code, RPA, there's tons of companies, there's tons of industries now popping up to help get more automations in place. Uh, it makes complete sense that security would see the same thing. Yeah. Give us an idea of how much labor hours are involved typically in a standard workflow. Yeah. So I think, again, because it's such a diverse set of use cases that we see, yeah. we tend to see a fairly diverse amount of time saved as well. But to give you a, like a, a general concept, we'll typically see a customer implement like in their first use case, their, their most noisy use case, their most time consuming use case. And that'll typically save about 1.5 headcount per week, right? So like you're, you know, let's say like 90 hours per week uh, with a single use case. And that'll be like their very first one. And you can kind of extrapolate from there. You'll begin to see workflows that aren't quite as uh, time consuming, but more impactful, right? So for example, hey, this alert may only fire once a year. But when it fires, we need to make sure that it's automated within like three seconds, right? And so there's a very, there's a kind of a sliding, um, a slider between like amount of time saved and criticality. And I think that's how we're a little bit different to RPA or these general purpose automation platforms is that we're really designed to support not only the low hanging fruit in automation, but also your most mission critical workflows, right? Your security automation, your employee onboarding, your incident response. Our platform is designed to support that. And we can still do your accounts payable and your um, your. Uh, marketing campaigns or whatever, but really we're designed for those mission critical workflows. Yeah, that makes sense. I like it. You're staying, staying in your lane, staying, keeping that focus for yourself. You know, the, you've, you've also been on record with different articles talking about, Hey, you know, the, the skills gap. And that's something we've covered this month throughout this month about, Hey, in the world of cybersecurity, there's a massive skills gap of jobs and uh, people that are qualified to fill those jobs. Do you see times as a way to bridge this gap? Because is it, are you hearing that from your customers where they're like, hey, now that we have this, we're enabling more people to develop these toolkits versus less? Or give us an idea of how Times is going to play a part in narrowing that skills gap, because this is said by many cybersecurity individuals throughout uh, throughout our time at IT Visionaries, people that we've met talking about, hey, we have you know this many jobs, this many people that can do them. I've got a bit of a hot take on this, Albert. And I think that, is there a cybersecurity <laughs> skills gap? Yes. But 
I think we're framing it all wrong. I don't think it's a shortage of cybersecurity professionals. I think it's a terrible allocation of cybersecurity professionals. Okay. Right? Like if you think about how cybersecurity professionals are doing the work today, and if you're a junior analyst or an L1 analyst or an L2 analyst or an L3 analyst or something like that, you're probably spending like 70 to 80% of your time doing the same thing over and over again all day long. Like if you were to just automate away 95% of that, you would immediately free up probably 100,000 professionals or 100,000 like uh, bodies to go and refocus on higher impact activities. So I think that yes, Tynes will help solve the cybersecurity skills gap, but not in the sense that we're going to reduce the headcount required by security. I just think what we will allow teams to do, and we're already seeing our customers do that, is take these incredibly precious security resources that are well-paid, well-motivated, educated, talented, and instead of having them focused on this monotonous, repetitive work, have them focus on more impactful work um, like threat hunting, tuning alerts, working with the business, and adding value outside of just like responding to security alerts. No, that makes sense. That makes that makes sense completely. For yourself, what are you most, I guess, excited about? You know, the, the company's growing. You're starting to see your vision come to life right now. What are you most excited about? Do you do you foresee, for example, more just tons of companies adopting it? Of course, there's going to be company growth. People get excited about that. But do you think for yourself, times, are you learning? Because you're learning so much now that you have customers, so many customers using this. Is there going to be that eighth workflow that you need to implement? Give us an idea where you see for yourself personally and for your company in the next five to 10 years. So one of the things that continues to be a consistent surprise to me is just how much I'm enjoying being the CEO of a company. Right? Like <laughs> I, I was always a security engineer, a, a software engineer, a practitioner, and so on. Uh, if you had told me when I started Tynes four years ago or five years ago that I would love being the CEO of a 160-person company, I'm not sure I would have believed you. But... Um, you know, I really enjoy leading the company. I enjoy working on product. But ultimately, the thing that I enjoy the most is hiring. Like, I absolutely love hiring people who are smarter than me, who are passionate about their jobs, and convincing them to join Tynes, and then letting them loose on all these, like, really interesting, challenging problems that we have within the company as we deal with rapid growth. Um, so I think, you know, one, one of the things that continues to excite me is just bringing more incredibly talented, motivated people into the company and working with them. Um, in terms of the, the long term strategy for the company that, I, that I'm excited about, I think what we have done um, up to this, like with a fairly rough maths, is build the skeleton for times, right? So build the outline for what this product can be. And we've got our seven action types and we've got our drag and drop canvas and we've got like the back end and so on. What we haven't really spent a whole lot of time on is improving the ergonomics of those basic concepts. And so today, Tynes still has a little bit of a barrier to entry, right? It's not as significant by any stretch of the imagination of learning how to code or reading API docs. It's much easier than that but it still requires a little bit of upfront investment to get that payoff further down the line. So one of the things that we're really, really excited about is just improving the user experience consistently and constantly over time so that eventually times is so easy to use that literally anybody at any part of their career of any age can get value from this product. 
And maybe there's a world where actually you don't need to know how to write code, right? That today, if you want to be a software engineer, you have to go and get a degree and learn how to write Python. Maybe in five years time, you don't. Maybe you just watch some of our self-tutorial videos uh, and, and go how to go and learn how to build software that way. Because if you think about it, you know, when I was learning how to write code, I learned assembly, right? Like I learned assembly and I learned about like L1 and L2 cache and I learned about registers. That was like not important, right? That's all been abstracted away by IDEs and languages and so on. And I think there's a world in the future where like the concepts of variables and conditionals and um, methods and classes is also abstracted away so that more people can write software, more people can be impactful and experience the joy of work, ultimately, the joy of creation of software. Well, listen, the goal that you're aspiring to to make it so dead simple that anyone can do it. I mean, I think that's one of those like those like Shangri-La goals, you know, that that (laughs) Valhalla. Right. Because it's just so hard to get to. And it's and like you said, everyone, something can always be made easier. Right. Like there's always going to be a way to make something easier. You know, I think of all the people that we've had on our shows throughout the hundreds of episodes, everyone talks about simplifying even more, right? No one wants to make anything more complicated than it needs to be. In a world of cybersecurity where problems and threats keep emerging all the time, I think knowing that something is easy makes your life more palatable, for sure. (laughs) Kind of hits to your like misallocation of people. Like, yeah, too many people doing the wrong things. Um, It makes it maybe less appealing. That's why it seems like a skills gap, but it's not, right? There's probably very smart people that can solve these problems. If these tools can unlock those smart people in these domains, then I think we'll be better off. Oh, and I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Oh, and this is where we ask you questions outside of the your world of work so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. Okay. Are you ready? Yes, sir. All right. Back when you were security analyst, what was the scariest near breach of your career oh i i've had i've had multiple real breaches let alone um near near breaches so i was the lead instant responder on the ebay breach in 2013 i was senior director of security at, at docusign when we had a couple of third-party data breaches as well uh near breaches i am um, i remember one where our ceo of a company i was working in had their uh, email account compromised uh, and we had just caught it in the nick of time before like a bunch of really critical data was exfilled. <laughs> so cybersecurity is widely considered a very stressful career. What would you do, I guess, the other side to balance out that stress? What, what did you do outside of work? Um, this is this is a topic that's near and dear to both my heart personally, but also to us as a company. Uh, and we do a bunch of kind of like pro mental health uh, exercises within the company for for security practitioners and so on. Um, I don't think there's any easy answer for like everybody. I think mental health is something that's extraordinarily personal. For me, what works really well is disconnecting from screens and being outside in nature, whether that means going for a walk, going for a run, taking my kids to the park. Uh, but fresh air and being outside is what works for me. But I know it doesn't work for everybody. Besides, I guess uh, you mentioned playing with the kids, running, walking. Do you do anything else for what do you do for fun outside of work? 
Uh, that is my fun, man. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I have a lot of friends. I'm in Ireland. I like to go to the pub and hang out with my friends. Um, I listen to a ton of music. I read an absolute bunch as well. Um, uh, I also have like a, a classic car that I've been trying to restore for about like 15 years now, it feels like. Uh, and so I do a little bit of that on that as well. Why is it not done? It's been 15 years on what's what what's left to do on the car. Um, I, I mentioned that there was like there was a lot of naivety in starting Tynes, the company. <laughs> I think there was even more naivety in thinking that I could like personally restore a 1966 Volkswagen Carmen Ghia. There is a lot left to do. Um, <laughs> and and I'm, I'm, I'm consistently humbled by like my lack of skills as a mechanic. So I think, I, I, you know, I think there's a lot still to do, but uh, it's also not something I'm in any rush to finish. What does your family think about this vehicle that is undone um um, they what's the bet what's the let's just say they're happy that i'm successful in my job and that it's not my full-time career being a mechanic um but i i think i think what they think about it is that like what are you doing like just pay somebody to go and fix this for you and go and restore it I think that's really what they're thinking. But every now and again, I'll take it out for a drive with like my wife or something. It's like, okay, I forgive you. This is pretty good. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Owen, man, listen, luckily for us, you're better at building software than fixing cars. I think <laughs> it's great what you're doing. I mean, listen, the low code, no code movement is essential. I mean, it seems essential with more and more repetitive tasks entering our workday every single day. Uh, I think it's going to unlock a lot of creative freedom and an ability to do other things, more maybe more, more important things. And uh, cybersecurity, it seems like a natural place for this um, this process to to enter. Totally. Uh, it's workflows have often been like automations are often like in like administrative tasks, uh, financial tasks. Uh, to, so to hear it going into cybersecurity is, is really fascinating. I appreciate you joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thank you so much for having me, Albert.